Hello and welcome to another edition of the BCSN Sports Wrap. I'm Brian Fulford, that's A.D. Drew, and it's our pleasure to come to you this evening with another good show as we recap and talk about some of the best things that we have seen on the HBCU Sports landscape and uh, and more. Drew, how you doing, my man? Good to see you this evening. Always good to see you, Brian. Uh... What guy kind of got my eye half on the podcast and half on the HBCU All Star game? Yeah, and we're, Brian, we're right here. Uh, I was gonna say, why is it that it takes an All Star basketball game for us to see the full performance of the band at halftime, but never in a football game, especially in a regular season football game? Uh, well. On network, I, not I, on, 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 on over-the-air network to top it off. Well, but okay, see, see, here's the thing. During the football season, football traditionally on television, they, they have time allotted that they want to show highlights, and they go to halftime shows that show highlights of other games. So they're not necessarily invested in understanding that showing the uh, an HBCU football game that the halftime show is like part of the broadcast. You know, it's like you have a, a first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter, but really you have first quarter, second quarter, halftime, third quarter, fourth quarter, you know? So they use that halftime traditionally to do what? you know, set up the the highlight packages of other things going on, promote other games, sell commercial blocks, things of that nature during the halftime show because they assume in your traditional games, your your traditional games, well, people are usually getting up to go to the bathroom, do whatever, whatever else. Well, we understand in our culture, our culture wants to see the bands when it comes to our games. So, Look, when you have a game that's being run by the four-letter network up in Bristol, Connecticut, they're always, nine times out of ten, going to show you what? They're going to show you the halftimes of other games and commercials because that's what they do. So, I mean, we understand. Now, now obviously, if you remember back in the day when games used to be on BET and things of that nature, they understood their product. And I guess maybe that's the word or words, understanding your product. 
You know, when you understand your product, you understand the market, you understand the halftime show that you're getting. And so with this HBCU all-star basketball game, they understood going in that the Southern Jaguar, uh, uh, the human jukebox, I don't know if that's the full version or the slimmed down version. It, it was a slimmed down more of a pep band because if I don't think they could have fit all 200 of them on the basketball court. Right. So they, they understand that that, that, that that is part of this broadcast. And so uh, props to the organizers and the television executives for being on the same page and understanding that part, you know, so it, it, it is what it is. I, 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 I just say, you know, that, that's where the opportunities come for other people to jump in and show live halftime shows. You know what I'm saying? Because I, I think if we can, if you continue to wait on network television to show you halftime show, you'll be, you'll be waiting a while. I just have a feeling, you know, so now, now granted, you know, what always could be done is what you see more of is the whole, the, the, the sort of split box. If you want to show commercials, get your commercials in while you what minimize the main screen. So that way you don't miss any of the halftime. But, but then again, you got the audio issue because you got to, you want to hear the band, not just see the band. You want to hear the band. So that kind of conflicts with hearing the commercials. You see what I'm saying, Drew? There's all kinds of conflict of interest there in, in all of that. So, um, you know, what, what's your, uh, what's your take of the, of the contest? Uh, we're you're probably about two minutes left in our real time, but what's your take of what you have seen thus far? Very competitive uh, basketball game, you know. Of course, just like with any all-star game, we saw our fair share of highlight dunks and things of that nature, but these kids are playing to show off. You would think, uh, for the most part, that these teams have practiced together, played each together, and this was uh, outside of that you would think this was a rival game. It's, it's like a a conference game almost. Yeah, and and I just in case people didn't know, uh, Team McClendon is made up of guys from the MEAC and the SIEC. Uh, Team uh, Gaines is made up of SWAC and CIAA guys. I don't know where the where the non-SWAC, CIAA, MEAC, SIEC guys are falling. I'm sure they're kind of split in between, you know, guys like, uh, I think Cam Langley is in there from, um, from North Carolina A&T might be a few other guys, but, but it's a, it's a good mix of guys. And, you know, I, I think the, in the GCAC is in here. I haven't seen any GCAC guy. Uh, well, guys. you know, I, that's a good question. Maybe this is only for NCAA guys, you know, that too might be a thing. Uh, 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 where there are no NAIA guys. You know, I, I I can definitely tell you there are no NAIA guys in this. So that may be part of it. And yet, given given that this is an NCAA event, uh, I'm sure that is part of a – that's a big reason. So I'm seeing Langley – Cam Langley is a part of Team McClendon. Um, McClendon is coached by Robert Jones uh, primarily – and then you have uh, Team Games, coached by Landon Bussey. Uh, you know, two guys that uh, obviously a big fan of both of those two coaches. 
um, you know, in doing some research, you know, kind of just going through some of the accolades that, that went to Coach Jones, who was the NCAA Mid-Major Coach of the Year uh, by collegeinsiders.com. He won that award. He's uh, been named the Coach of the Year by several publications, obviously the MEAC Coach of the Year. And then Landon Bussey. Landon Bussey, who uh, I think you and I were both fortunate enough to have a chance to talk to and work with this past year uh, when we did some games for Alcorn State. Uh, I, I'm really impressed. I like, I really like him. You know, I, I, you know, not knowing too much about him prior to, but as I've gotten to know a little bit of his background and then get to talk to him, uh, they're, they're doing some nice, Alcorn is going to be a player in the SWAT for as long as he's there. Uh, because I, I think he does a good job of not only recruiting, but I think he does a good job of coaching. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, that's a that's a good team. They're going to constantly be a good team with him, uh, with with him at the helm. So, what may be interesting is the assistant coach on uh, on that team, and that is Fred Watson from Miles, who is rumored to be the upcoming new head coach at Alabama State University. So let's well, see really, how that plays out. Yes, that's the rumor that I'm hearing. And if so, you know, kudos to Fred. I've known Fred for over 20 years, and uh, he's done tremendous things at the Division II level at Benedict and at most recently at Miles. So if he's getting his opportunity to finally move up to the Division I level, you know, more, more, more power to him. Well, let me ask this, because the, the job at Alabama A&M is also open. And yes. is that a, you know, and I had a chance, if you didn't hear uh, a good conversation between Carlos Brown and coach Van Petaway on Carlos's show this past Saturday, I would recommend anybody to go back and listen to it. You can find that show on, uh, on our platforms and on Facebook, you can go to Carlos Brown show on Facebook as well. Uh, a good conversation. Coach Petway's on part of the search committee. And I think two two interesting things came out of the conversation. One, uh, Coach Petaway revealed that uh, you had heard some some talk that between the previous coach and his, his name escapes me right now, the previous coach at Alabama A and M, uh, that there was some negotiating. What's the word I want to say? There there was a breakdown in the negotiations, and that Alabama A and M had issued a statement saying that two years. A two-year extension was offered. Well, uh, Coach had basically said that was not true in a in a conversation with Coach Petaway. Uh, so you know, I, there's always three sides to a story. And uh, but but uh, in talking to the coach, he says he was never offered a two-year extension. So the big question I asked to you, Drew, what, what's a better job in Alabama? Is it the Hornets or the Bulldogs? What's a better job? Oh, definitely the Hornets. And you're talking to a Tuskegee man, and that's hard for that to roll out of my mouth. But I think <laughs> Alabama State would be the better job traditionally. Except, well, let's stay back. 
Alabama A&M has had a tradition, especially on the Division II level. You know, you had Coach Ben Joe, you had Coach uh, Van Petaway, who took it from, uh, you know, Division II to Division One. Uh, so they probably had more success at Alabama A&M, but it just seems like if you, especially if you're getting in-state recruits or recruits from the Atlanta area, they're going to be more tempted to go to Montgomery, Alabama to live than Huntsville, Alabama. Huntsville is going to pull some from up in the Tennessee Valley area down into uh, into the area for their recruiting base. Uh, at one point in time, they had a base in St. Louis, uh Alabama State probably has more of a little Chicago base. So they're, they're kind of 50-50. What makes Alabama A&M an attractive job is the fact that they're opening up a brand new basketball facility this year. Yeah. So any coach who would uh, would love to have the opportunity to open up a new facility. So uh, that is the one thing that's going to be the attraction. So you have the facility. But when you have the fanfare that goes with the facility, you know, we've seen that at Florida A&M, when you open up a brand new facility, a larger facility that's built more for the the general student body to hold so that you can hold other events on campus, sometimes you lose that band box atmosphere that you had in your older, smaller arenas like we had at Jake Gaither, like you still have at a Bethune-Cookman. Uh, so that's that's going to be a wait and see aspect right there. Yeah, that's a good point. I I would uh, I I don't know. You know, I know Alabama State. There's a there's a lot of good things uh, there in terms of facilities, but uh, there is always something attractive to the shiny new toys. And I got to think when you're going into the Alabama A and M job, the shiny new toys are there, and it seems like. Alabama A&M has definitely increased budgets in terms of athletics over the last several years. So it's possible they're spending more or there's more money available for that program, for the basketball program. Um, you know, they, they want to coach, and this I'm quoting from Coach Petaway. He, he is one of those people uh, from, from off that uh, – he's part of the search committee that they want somebody who is not going to use Alabama A&M as a stepping stone. Obviously, if your dream job or other opportunities come uh, as a result of your success at Alabama A&M, but they, they don't want somebody that is looking to use Alabama A&M to, you know, to, to sort of springboard them onto the next big thing. And that's always a challenge to try to figure out uh, because – you know, when you, if you're a good interviewer, you know, you're going to be able to sell yourself in a way that doesn't tip off your future plan. So it's being able to judge authenticity is going to be real important. And but but more importantly, I, I think you, you focus on trying to find somebody who's going to build your program and get it going in the right direction, bring some fans, connect in with the community, because as we've seen. One of the bigger problems that I think a lot of the HBCU programs have is their connection with the community. You know, you, you got to get somebody who's whether the athletic department gives you the money or they spend the money, 
you got to be able to go out and bring the community to basketball games. You got to be able to show the community that spending 20 bucks or season tickets on a basketball game is going to be worth it because you're going to see a brand of basketball that is going to be worth your entertainment dollar, you know, and and that you're going to have kids that are invested in playing hard every night. And so, I mean, that, that's always the toughest part. Uh, so it looks like Team McClendon won the contest. Uh, again, Team McClendon, 79. Team Gaines, 75. Of course, Team McClendon, uh, again, made up of guys from out of the MEAC and the SIAC. So, again, the MEAC best the SWAC. Uh, it, it's it's uh, it's becoming a it's coming a bad trend here, Drew, in championships and all star games. I don't care what you say, but uh, no, no matter no matter what, man, it just keep the meak is like we may be small, but doggone it, we we keep whipping on the swag's tail. That's all I'm gonna say. Small but powerful. Small but powerful. Shout out to uh, Coach Robert Jones. Post game interview uh, ends up as a winner again. I tell you, man. Uh, you talk about uh, HBCU coaches. Now, he's been there for a minute at Norfolk State, and, you know, not to shuffle him off to anywhere else. I know Norfolk State fans won't be happy, but uh, that's a guy who's shown he can coach. That's a, that's a guy who's shown he can recruit. And, you know, I, if I'm somebody in that Virginia, Carolina and that Eastern belt there, I, I would be looking at Robert Jones real hard if I had a program that I was looking to kind of grow. Um, uh, but or, do, does he need to take – if he takes another job, we're not, we're not wishing this on, any, on, on, on him and to the, uh, to the Norfolk faithful, but does he – does he go for another job where he has to build a program again, like he had to build at Norfolk? Or does he go for a job that's already established and now he takes that program to the next level? No, yeah, I, I think you're looking to kind of find if if you if, if somebody were coming and hunting for Robert Jones, uh, you would have to already have a program that has shown that can be successful because you spend the money. You spend the money. I, I think you'd have to be able to show that you're doing something and you're providing him something that he he doesn't have at Norfolk State. Because I think he has everything he wants and needs at Norfolk State to be successful. And he's shown that. He's shown it. And Norfolk State will continue to be successful where they are. Um, and it's so, but, you know. Uh, we'll we'll see. We'll see. Uh, I want to give a shout out. Transition real quick. I want to shout out the the guys who participated in the Dosecki's three by three U Championship game uh, or championship tournament. I should say it was a weekend three by three tournament that was put on in conjunction with the NCAA Final Four weekend. Uh, started on Friday, April first, till today, uh, featuring teams that are made up of players from a a mix of players. There's 32 conferences. Basically what they do, Drew, is they took, they took basically like two guys from one conference, two guys from another, 
put them together. So, for example, you have a team made up of the MIAC and SWAC. So you got two guys from the MIAC, two guys from the SWAC. Uh, so it's a four-man roster. You're playing three-by-three, FIBA three-by-three rules, which is a big thing. You can get an Olympic medal in that. Uh, you know, love three-on-three basketball. I love coaching. I, I love using three-on-three, especially in coaching and in practices. So uh, it's a lot of a lot of good opportunities there. But the it's a real – it's a quick game, a fun game. Uh, so the the HBC, uh, what is it? You, hold on, let me make sure I got the name right because I had the name here earlier of the team. Uh, it's HBC. You don't want none. That's the name of the team, right? And so, yeah, they're, they're made up. Here's the here's the roster made up of uh, looks like three guys from the SWAC, one from the MIAC. You've got Al Lawson or AJ Lawson, excuse me, a guard from Texas Southern. You've got Daquan Morris, a forward from UAPB, Bryce Moraine, a forward from Florida A&M, and Elagio Grantson, I hope I said that last name right, he's a forward for Morgan State. And so these guys are all seniors. And the cool thing about this, Drew, is once you get to the tournament, it's worth money. So you win games in a tournament, you're walking with real cash. It's like real cash money going into your pockets basically on your performance of play. So the HBC, you don't want none team. They actually had a rough time in pool play. They went one and five in pool play. Uh, but that, I, they got their last game. Technically they were 0 and five. I should, I should phrase that correctly. They were 0 and five, won their last game on Saturday. Then today, this morning, they had to play their first game at nine 45. They were like in the, playing, playing version of the tournament, right? I mean, just imagine the way they do it. But they had to win three – they won three games this morning, this afternoon, to get to the semifinals. In all, they won $8,000. So that is their money, $8,000 divided up among four guys. Uh, You know, that's about two Gs each. So they had to beat a – they beat a team from the uh, Summit and OVC – Another team that was made up of the A-Sun, Sunbelt, and then beat a team from the CAA-NEC to get to the semifinals. Uh, they lost 21-17 to in the semifinals to a team from the Big East A-10. So they, they almost got to the championship, and I think the championship was a – I think it was 150 Ks or maybe it was 50 Ks. I, 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 it was one of the two. I – I don't recall which exactly, but it was a nice piece of change, um, you know. And so, shout out to them. Now, I, I just seen a, a, a nice post, Drew. We, we're talking about all this stuff for the men. Where are the ladies at? I didn't see any three-on-three. <laughs> I didn't see any three-on-three for the ladies. Didn't see any three-on-three all-star game for the men. Drew. You mean the ladies. I mean, the, the, yeah, for the ladies. I, you know, uh, we – I know you got to start somewhere, but uh, what's what's up? When are we going to see something for the ladies? Should we see something? Or I I know we should, but uh, what's your take on not seeing something for the ladies? Obviously, Title Nine does not apply when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> the All Star so, Games, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Title Nine. These are not Title Nine. Uh, uh, specific game so uh you know it's it's unfortunate that uh the ladies do not get their opportunity to participate in that uh 
I would love to see the women uh, athletics, you know, participate because we've got some. I mean, could you mind having uh, Misha Williams, Holiday, and Deja Rogan, and you know, some of those women? Well, I get, I, I guess from the MEAC, because Howard is still kind of young. Uh, oh, what? What's 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 the young lady over in Norfolk? I'm drawing a blank right now. Um, I just pulled Norfolk State's got a couple of uh not Norfolk State, but seniors. um North Carolina AT's got a couple seniors yeah, over and there. Seniors, right. Um right. yeah, I mean there's some there's some quality seniors out there that right. I think you can pull. Look, I this is done around this whole premise of scouts. And giving guys yes. exposure, you know. So, I, no one will say this publicly, Drew. Um, who knows? I probably even shouldn't. But you know, where where are the scouts for the WNBA? You know, are I mean, the WNBA is made up of. Can you name how many? Can you? I'm not going to ask you to name the teams, but how many WNBA teams are there, Drew? Do you know? Uh, I'm going to guess maybe around without 20. Google, without Google, without Google. I would guess around twenty ish. Oh, twenty. Yes. Am I too high? Started, maybe when it started, when when they're twenty, uh, you know, no, 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 no. There, there are, there are. Uh, I believe there are. Uh, ooh, let's see, I'm, I'm, not, I'm even off. I, I think there were. I know. Was it down to twelve at one point? It's still down to 12. It's still down to 12. Yeah, it's still down to 12 teams. Uh, You got me even looking now, so I'm not even going to – I do believe it's 12 12 teams that are are in there. Yeah, there's 12. It's down to 12. So, uh, But that was a league that was once 20. I think it was 20. Might even been 16 at one point, but it's narrowed itself down all the way to 12. So – when you talk about opportunities, there are fewer opportunities in the WNBA level. And I believe international basketball is still going on. So the scouts that would, and a lot of ladies and a lot of women's basketball teams go overseas to play. That's where the real opportunities are for the top female basketball players. It's overseas and the money is better than what it is in the United States. So, those opportunities are where they're overseas. Even though, even those that play in the league still play overseas. Yes, exactly, because they can. You can do both. You can play overseas, as is the case with Brittany Griner. You know, got she was playing in Russia, got in trouble trying to leave Russia and trying to get back to America, and I believe she's still in a Russian jail. So uh, you know, prayers up to Brittany Griner, uh, who got caught with some with some stuff, uh, some hashish, I think is what they said it was, but, uh, which I, you know, so it, it was contraband. That's all I can really tell you is contraband in Russia. She got caught with it. And so here Russia is in the middle of a war and, you know, you got caught. And so who knows if she'll even play this year. So, but yeah, there, there's opportunity. Are they cutting the nets down? Are you kidding me? They're cutting the nets down. For a I'm sorry. I just looked over and seen a guy cutting nets. I'm like, really? They're cutting nets for? Ooh, Jesus. Uh, okay, so let's step away for a second. Hey, if you're watching us on Facebook and YouTube, we want to give us a like. Uh, make sure to hit that like, thumbs up button wherever you're watching us on YouTube, 
on the JBN page. Make sure you're subscribed. Hit the bell so that way anytime there's a show, you'll get notifications on Facebook. Make sure you uh, share the show. We'd appreciate it. Let somebody know that we are on the air. Uh, Of course, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyBCSN1, the number one. Coming up in the second hour, we're going to get into some talk about the upcoming NFL draft with uh, with a scout who has been breaking down every college prospect that there is. Now, only 262 guys are getting drafted. So, but we're going to get a chance to talk to Emory Hunt, footballgameplan.com, does some great work analyzing not only just uh, FCS and HBCU players, but just the entire draft and uh, – if you have not checked out his 2022 draft guide, uh, it is amazing work. If you are a draft nerd, uh, you want some good analysis and rankings, I, I suggest you go download. It's a it's a it's a it's a thick manual that's like this, Drew. Uh, Twelve bucks. I mean, it's an awesome uh, it's an awesome draft guide, and so we'll get a chance to talk to him about the prospects and the serious prospects of many of the HBCU guys that we. Uh, hope and think have an, or will have an opportunity to get drafted or play professional football. So that'll be at the top of the second hour. But coming up, we've got more to talk about on the other half, other side. Stay tuned. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. We'll be back in just a moment. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. This is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together we can be the change. This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard, as well as the upcoming week of HBCU sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watts and Charles Bishop. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama, Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best black college baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for black baseball's ultimate prize. 
Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. Bounty versus the old family dish towel. Drying with a fresh sheet of Bounty leaves your hands cleaner than a used dish towel that can carry and redistribute food residue. So ditch the dish towel for better hand hygiene. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working. <laughs> never not working. Never ever not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield, never not working. Every time I open one of these bottles, I hear trumpets and big band music. The Creole seasoning is a sodium-free and sugar-free blend that's versatile enough to put on anything. One of the first blends I developed more than eight years ago, the Creole seasoning has an unmistakable aroma, a bold flavor, and a little heat for character. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival. This is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together we can be the change. All right, welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian and AD here. And want to remind you guys, if you have not downloaded the Jericho Broadcast Network's app, go to your Google or Apple Play Store. Just search MyJBN or MyBCSN, and that's where you can find that app to download. Also, want to make sure that all of our shows you can find on the BCSN Pod Zone. Just do a nice little search in... Uh, Whatever podcast app you use, iHeart, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you use, just search BCSN Podzone, and that's where you'll find the BCSN Podzone and all of the shows that are part of the Black College Sports Network. So while we're in that recap roundup mode, Drew, I thought we'd go from off the football field, uh, or I'm sorry, the basketball court. Uh, to the baseball diamond and kind of as we get ready to, you know, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to reveal our top five for uh, Division One, Division Two, NAIA baseball. But just a few scores that I saw. Well, oh, okay. Well, they said in a uh, moment. <laughs> Producer jumped the gun. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he, he's ready to he's ready to move on. He hit, he hit the button. Yeah. 
See, this is, you know, we, folks, if you only understood what we dealt with in the background, you, you'd have a little appreciation for what we do. We love our producer to death, but he doesn't really listen to us while we're doing the show. So, you know, he's listening for key words. So he's a busy man, but we appreciate him and love him to death. Um, and so uh, what I wanted to mention were some scores before we get into the rankings. Uh, Drew, I saw Saturday, we had a couple of football scores up, uh, up on the, uh, up on the, uh, on the scoreboard on Saturday night or Saturday, Southern beat up on Texas Southern by a score of 14 to three, not a football score, not a football score. That's a baseball score, 14 to three. Uh, but obviously the more lopsided, not, non football score in a baseball game belonged to Grambling State. Grambling State put up 32 runs on Alcorn State, 32 to 10. Again, not a football score. That's a baseball score, 32 to 10. This is the same Alcorn State baseball team that I believe gave up 32 to Texas Southern earlier in the year. So, uh, but, but this time, instead of just scoring one run, they scored 10, but uh, a tough weekend series for Alcorn state. They lost 11 to one to Grambling on Friday. Of course, as mentioned, the 32 to 10, uh, and, and then they lost 14 to four. And uh, I, man, I, I tell you that some tough times in Alcorn. Brian, as bad as that is, I've got some even worse than that for you. Worse than that? Oh God! What do you yes. got, Drew? Worse than that? I, I'm scared. I'm scared from, to hear. From from a school who plays football and a school who does not play football. Okay. Competed against each other on the baseball diamond. Let's see. Xavier University out of New Orleans. Got a bunch of touchdowns, a couple of two-point conversions, and a field goal there to beat Texas College. Check this, oh. Brian. 39 to nothing. Say what? 39 to nothing. Damn. <laughs> Brian, that was only one of the, that was game one of the weekend series. Oh, that's a hell of that a That was on Friday. Oh, on man. Saturday, on Saturday in the weekend series, Texas Southern's defense, I mean, Texas College defense showed up, only gave up a touchdown and a field goal. But Xavier's defense was better as Xavier defeated Texas College 10 to nothing. Wow. Okay. And in the nightcap, Brian. Xavier was able to get their passing game going. Texas College got its foot going, finally getting off the schneid and getting off the goose egg by scoring a field goal. But they gave up three touchdowns and a field goal to Xavier as they lost 24-3. to 24-3? So, wait a minute. Yes. You had a 39 nothing game, 10 nothing game, and 24-3? Yes, for a total of 73 runs 
to three in a three-game series. I, I think Xavier might get team of the week. When you when you put up that many runs, I don't – I mean, assuming Texas College sent out college athletes out onto the field. It's Texas College, be, I would assume so. I, well, I would assume so too, but, but then again, you know, you have to ask the question just when you get beat like that. That's pretty bad. Um, yes. Talk about being in a zone. where Everybody's going five for five, six for six. Everyone's got five RBIs. Everyone's got four uh, runs batted in. I mean, good Lord. Um, yeah, that, that's team of the week honors. Uh, whew, geez, that, that's bad. Um, I wanted to take a quick peek because the series of the weekend, at, we talked to Michael Coker last week, and we knew the series of the weekend was actually going to be uh, the Savannah State Miles series. And I saw that uh, yesterday uh, Savannah or Savannah State won the two games on on Saturday. Um, just pulling up the scores here right now. Um, they won the two games on Saturday by a score of nine to five and three to one. Then they won today twelve to one. So. So, you know, that was one of those schools we were talking to Michael, uh, Savannah State. I believe they're number one, right, in uh, in their HBCU 9s uh, poll, small school poll. Uh, Savannah State's 24-6, and 20-1 in conference play in the SIC, winners of nine in a row. And I think Miles was on a winning streak as well coming into that contest. So uh, I believe it was like 13 or 14 straight uh, for Miles. They had, yeah, I don't so, think Miles had lost a game in the month of March. And so they, they wow. were able to get through March undefeated, but it, so the calendar has turned and so has their uh uh so has their fate as far as the SIAC goes. And let's let's wait and see if uh Savannah State is number one in the BCSN polls, so Brian. In the BCSN Hello poll. April. Hello, April, to Miles Baseball. Yeah, that's a tough one right there. So yes. just quickly doing a glance at the Division One standings in the SWAC, Alabama State and Bethune-Cookman. Alabama State with a three, uh, with a sweep on the weekend against, uh, I believe they took care of Mississippi Valley State this weekend. Let me make sure. Is that who Alabama State? Alabama played? State, Jackson State. Alabama State had Jackson State. Oh, oh, so they, they took – wow, that's the second? You know what? That's interesting because I believe Bethune took three on Jackson State, or at least they took two of three. The, the Bethune swept. I, I believe Bethune swept at Jackson State. Okay, that so that, that's interesting. So Jackson has 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 been swept by Alabama State and Bethune-Cookman, the top two teams in, uh, in, in the Eastern Division. And remember, just a year ago – this is how funny baseball is. Obviously, a year ago, Jackson State was unbeaten, you know, in conference play. And so, you know, here they are right now in conference. They're one and eight uh, with only one win in their three weekends uh, conference series. Sitting right behind them, Al uh, Florida A&M, they're four and three in conference as they swept Alabama A&M, who uh, they've lost four games in a row, falling down to three and five. Valley... Mississippi Valley State is three and six. Over on the west, west side, 
How about a preview with a weekend sweep over uh, UAPB, um, which is, let me make sure about that because, uh, yeah, eight to five today, 12 to three, and then four to three. So that's, uh, that's preview six and three, now tied with Grambling State at six and three. And then you have Texas Southern. They're a half a game back, five and three right now. Southern's five and three. I think as of right now, I don't think we've got uh, the results. Yeah, we don't have the results from that game, Texas Southern versus Southern. But obviously, that will change. Somebody will be either tied. Southern has won won the series already, though, uh, having won two in the game, the, the two games prior. Right, but if they lost today, they'll be yes. they'll be sitting one game behind Prairie View, Grambling, and Texas Southern in the conference, uh, and so that's that. Let's get into our top five now. Hold on, hold on. So before BC- bef- oh, before okay. you go there, Biak, and oh, okay. it isn't this so Biakish? You know that's our word, Biakish. Copper State seventy five, Delaware State. Six and six, Maryland Eastern Shore, six and six, and Norfolk State, five and seven. Is it parody? Is it mediocrity? Or is it just the BAC where everybody's within one game of each other? And wouldn't it be befitting for the BAC come tournament time if all four teams are tied, Brian? I'd hate to even ask what that tiebreaker is going to be. <laughs> Start your research now. <laughs> Start doing your research now. What is the MIAC baseball tiebreaker? Uh, is it home games? Is it losses on the road? Uh, non-conference <laughs> opponents? Yeah. Uh, going over okay. the MIAC, uh today's scores, uh, Coppin defeated Maryland Eastern Shore 6-4. Delaware defeated Norfolk 12-5. Uh, so that is today's update in the BAC before you get to the uh, rankings. All right, let's show the rankings now. This is our brand new first of the season top five BCSN top five baseball rankings, computer-based rankings. And as you can see, number one team, according to our computer metrics, show Bethune-Cookman as number one in Division One. Followed up by Alabama State, Southern sitting at three, followed by Florida A&M and Texas Southern at five. So, you know, that's pretty interesting. I'm sure there'll be lots of phone calls and lots of emails from people at Prairie View. I know, you know, Mike Washington will be saying, where's Prairie View? Where's Prairie View? I, I don't trust the numbers. Where's your data? Blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, Graham Fam, you know, say, hey, what, what happened to us? How come we're not in the hunt? So, yeah, there'll be a, be a lot of discussion about why Southern is three. I think the bigger discussion needs to be, like, why is there no one from the MEAC or North Carolina A&T even in the discussion? That's what people need to be discussing because your top seven teams are all from the SWAC. Well, but really, how many how many Division One HBCU baseball teams are there? Uh, we, and when it comes to football, we have 
20 what do we have in football we have 21 in football correct correct um, and in 12, baseball you have you have 18 18 okay yes 12 and then that's six others and four of them are from the MEAC and then two others from elsewhere so yeah, I mean it, yeah. it. It's 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 tough going. The best team. I mean, we knew the best Division One teams were going to be in the SWAC, um, so it's not a surprise. But I, I'd be I, and two know, independents, two two of our three independents don't even play baseball. Yes, and exactly. Hampton, and exactly. Tennessee State. Yeah. So so wait a minute. That so how do we? Have, you said you had how many? Eighteen. Excuse me. Seventeen. Seventeen. I'm sorry. Seventeen. How is it 17? Should we say 12? 12, 12, 17. Yeah, you're right. 17. Yeah, 17. Okay. Do the math. Do the math, Brian. All right. Uh, let's go over to Division Two. Let's take a look at the top five in Division Two. Number one is Albany State with a very slim lead over Savannah State in the rankings. Uh, that'll be interesting to kind of see uh, when that series will take place as those two teams have not met circle April 22nd and April 23rd. That's a two game set in Savannah. That'll be an interesting series. So it'll be the first time those two teams get together this year. I think it's the only two times those two teams play each other prior to the SIAC uh, tournament. Miles comes in, obviously uh, previously had a great month of March. They're in at number three. Kentucky State at four and Tuskegee at five. So SIEC uh, well represented. And uh, just for clarification purposes, they're not playing baseball in the CIAA. Is that correct? Not, no, not as a conference. Uh, you have Independence. Uh, Lincoln participates in a conference up in the uh, up in the Northeast. Virginia State plays baseball as a D2 independent. Link, uh, I said Lincoln. Uh, Claflin plays as a D2. In, no, Claflin plays in the, uh, the Peach Belt Conference. I believe they play in the Peach Belt Conference. And then you have Bluefield State also as a Division Two independent. So there right. are 16 uh, D2 baseball programs. Right. And uh, also let's keep it, let's keep in mind, uh, some of this, some of this data will be used to determine the four teams along with black college nines poll and a few other metrics to determine the four division two representatives for the black college world series. Okay. Okay. Good to know. So if, if there were, well, you know, who, who it, it makes, it makes good for great speculation you know, as you see, uh, our top five right there, you know, that uh, you see a Tuskegee and a Kentucky State battling for that four spot. But you also got West Virginia State and Bluefield State. Obviously, Bluefield State, the defending Black College World Series champs. So it'll be interesting to see, can they find their way into the mix before it's said and over? And how about Edward Waters as well? Don't forget about Edward Waters um, over there as well jump over to the NAIA and let's see what the top five looks like on the NAIA side and you got those, a host those of points are off. off those points are off 
but the, the order is correct. I'll go through and read okay. down the points for you, Brian. Uh, well, that, I, points the, are the, points. The, are, don't even worry about the points, Drew. I mean, you know, I, people yeah, just want to know. But the order is correct. The, okay, the order is correct. So look away yes. if you if you're looking at numbers. Look away at any number other than the one, two, three, four, and five. So in first yes. place, uh, Talladega is in first, followed up by Harris Stowe, uh, and then you've got Florida Memorial. And then you've got Payne College at four, Xavier at five. And so, uh, of course, you've got, uh, you know, at, at the NAIA level. Now, Payne College, of course, not necessarily NAIA. Uh, they are part of the, what, the NCCAA. C-C. But Correct. as a small school, we are classifying them under the NAIA banner. Because right. NCCAA actually falls up under the NAIA, as those teams are allowed to compete in both. Okay. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. And once All again, right. the, the data from this poll, along with a few other uh, polls, will help determine the four NAIA participants for the Black College World Series. Right, right. Uh, you know, I, I felt you know one of the sports that we have not uh, was that was that the last of the polls before I before I move forward. For yes, a second? before we move forward. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to take a second and recognize our softball teams because you know we haven't got a chance to talk much softball this year um, at all, and so just in case people are kind of wondering about what their softball programs are doing out there and and next week we'll have a top five softball programs but uh, over in the swack the swack again divided up in the east and west leading in first place is jackson state with an eight and five conference record 17 and 15 overall winners of uh, three in a row right behind them you've got alabama state seven and five in conference 15 and 19 overall but then cookman with an even five and five record in conference play, ten and twenty overall. Then you have Mississippi Valley State, Florida A and M, and Alabama A and M uh, finishing up the uh, four, five, and six spots, all within a game of each other, really between five and six and four and seven. Over on the western side of the SWAC, Texas Southern with the best overall conference record right now. They are ten and two. Um, 10 and 2 right now. In second place is Prairie View AM at 8 and 4. Southern University is 7 and 5. They're in third. Uh, the overall records uh, not not as great as Jackson State, you know. I mentioned uh, Texas Southern's 10 and 2 record, but they're 13 and 5 overall. Uh, rounding out the bottom half of the West Division in softball, you've got Alcorn at 6 and 6. Grambling three and nine, all UAPB at three and nine as well. Shifting over to the MEAC on the MEAC side, just kind of going through the standings there in the MEAC. Uh, now, it's interesting for softball, the MEAC actually has eight teams that play softball. So, you know, on the men's side, they only have four baseball teams, but they have eight teams playing softball. Right now, Maryland Eastern Shore is 8 and 1 in conference play winners of 3 in a row 12 and 19 overall but Norfolk State 
they have uh they're sitting in a three-way tie for second place at six and three they have an overall record of 20 and 15 winners of four in a row also tied with them morgan state north carolina central following uh so that's the top four then the bottom four you've got howard at five and three followed by South Carolina State and Delaware State, both two and seven. And then Coppin State, winless right now. They are 0-8 in conference, 0-26 overall. And that that is a tough break for Coppin. So not really sure when Coppin, you know, Coppin's going to see the light of day, but uh, they're hoping to get it right over there. Um I wanted to check and see. I didn't have Hampton's softball uh, pulled up in the Big South or A and T, um, but uh, why maybe you do we'll that? I, could, I was saying I could go over to SIC and CIAA for you if you'd like. Yeah, if you have that pulled up, that'd be great. Let's let's yes, hear about what's going on over there. SIAC. Uh, Albany State is the leader of the pack in the SIAC with a 23 and 7 overall record, 10 and 1 in conference. Uh, Benedict comes in uh, number two, 23 and 14 overall, 5 and 4 in conference, followed by Savannah, Clark, and Fort Valley. That's on the east side. Now, what's interesting is the SIAC for baseball, they put all 11 teams in together, and they'll take the top eight. Softball, they still have it separated east-west. It will take the top four from each side to the tournament. So it'll be interesting. It was really, it was always interesting about that is traditionally in the past in the SIAC, the west has dominated the tournament. So it's real interesting to see when they finally do cross over. But switch it over to the west side of the SIAC. Spring Hill, 2011, 14-3 in conference. Tuskegee, 18-9, 11-1 in conference. Kentucky State, 11-14, 6-2. And Miles is 8-14-1, 4-4 in conference with Lane and LeMoyne rounding out the West. CIAA does play softball, though, Brian. So, in softball, and, and they have their traditional north south division. So, in the north, you have Virginia State, uh, 14 and 8, 8 and 2, Bowie State, 12, 14 and 1, 5 and 3, uh, Union, 8 and 6, 5 and 3, and Elizabeth City, Lincoln, and Shaw round out the north. In the South, Claflin, 10 and 8, 8 and 0 in conference. Fayetteville, 10 and 12, 5 and 1 in conference. Winston Salem, 6 and 8, 3 and 3 in conference. With Johnson C. Smith, Livingston, Livingstone, and St. Aug wrapping up the, uh, the remainder of the CIAA, Brian. All right, and, and just to go back and touch on the Division One softball teams out of the OVC, which is where Tennessee State is housed. Uh, unfortunately, Tennessee State is second to the bottom in the conference standings at two and eight in conference play. Uh, Eleven and twenty-two overall is their record. And over in the Big South, uh, Hampton and North Carolina A and T 
are at the bottom of the table as well. Hampton is three and nine in conference play with a 13 and 23 record. A&T is two and 10 with a 12 and 21 record. A little bit later, we'll, we'll try to give some info on some of the NAIA schools, but uh, we got to take a break because coming up on the other side, we've got our special guest coming up to talk with us about uh, the draft. Emory Hunt will be joining us, footballgameplan.com, and we look forward to breaking down some of uh, some of his top HBCU small school uh, draft player, draft eligible players, uh, NFL draft eligible players, I guess I should specify that, um, for the upcoming 2022 draft. It's it's draft season, Drew, with apologies to the Masters, the NCAA Championship, the Final Four, the opening day of baseball, and all the other stuff that's going on. It's draft season. So let's get into it with uh, Emory Hunt on the other side. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. We'll be back in just a moment. This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard as well as the upcoming week of HBCU Sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watts and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. The top HBCU programs in the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama, Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best Black College baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for Black Baseball's ultimate prize. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. Bounty versus the old family dish towel. Drying with a fresh sheet of Bounty leaves your hands cleaner than a used dish towel that can carry and redistribute food residue. So ditch the dish towel for better hand hygiene. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working. <laughs> never not working. Never ever not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield. Never not working. Every time I open one of these bottles, I hear trumpets and big band music. The Creole seasoning is a sodium-free and sugar-free blend that's versatile enough to put on anything. One of the first blends I developed more than eight years ago, the Creole seasoning has an unmistakable aroma, a bold flavor, and a little heat for character. 
Welcome back to the BCSM Sports Wrap. Brian and AD here. I uh, want to remind you to make sure to go ahead and uh, like, hit that like button on YouTube, and uh, go ahead and give us a thumbs up. We've got some good stuff coming up here in just a second. And go ahead and share this feed, share this show if you're watching on uh, Twitter or Facebook or wherever you're at. Uh, I think you'll enjoy this next segment. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at my BCSN one, the number one. Joining us right now, it's a pleasure to have on from footballgameplan.com, Emory Hunt. And you can you can see Emory everywhere. Uh, he's an analyst on CBS Sports. Uh, if you go to footballgameplan.com, you'll see him there. But uh, he's, he's breaking down uh, all of the draft picks, follows college football, and uh, the NFL, but does a great job just in general. And and if you have not checked out or downloaded his 2022 draft prospect guide, oh my gosh, I tell you what, for for draft nerds, uh, and I and I'm calling look, I'm calling all of us that are draft nerds nerds because I'm a nerd when it comes to the draft. It is a thousand prospect profiles. Emory, welcome to the DCSN Sports Trap, man. Thank you for uh, joining us. How you doing today? I'm doing fine. I appreciate you guys bringing me on, and, and it's a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, I, I've been following you for at least the last five years, and I've kind of I, – I'm not – you know, you've been doing – I don't know how long you've been doing it, maybe past longer than five years, but I know that's when I you kind of came onto my radar. And I've kind of watched you every year just kind of add to what you do. Uh, talk a little bit about how you transition into – uh, where you're at now with covering uh, prospects and covering the draft and, and, and where did, you know, obviously you have a passion for football. You, you used to play uh, just talk about how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, it started back in 07 when we started football gameplan.com as a way to try to, you know, get that voice out and try to, instead of just arguing on three way about, what we just saw on TV, just do something about it. And we started a website in 07. Um, and then in 09, we, we realized that, you know, it's easier for me to say what I want to say as opposed to writing these articles, editing these articles and finding pictures and, you know, posting on a website. Let me just say what I, I need to say. I can get that out quickly. And by that time, YouTube had just started. And so, I you know, my background is in communications. I, I went to school for it. So I went ahead and bought camera equipment, lights, sound equipment, um, and set up in my apartment and started shooting these videos on YouTube, uh, breaking down the game, you know, of all levels, college football, NFL, women's tackle football, didn't matter. And so we were putting out individual videos, like five to six minute videos, about 30 to 40 videos a week. And that was me getting my reps on camera. And that kind of led me into doing, um, getting tapped to do color commentary, uh, which was huge. And that was the first step. And then that, you know, went from there to networks wanting to, to work with you and bring you on as a guest. And it goes from being a guest to being, 
you know, uh, a part of a, a major network while still also doing football game plan. Football game plan is still around. Um, and it's still, you know, we have these three TV shows on Saturday mornings during the football season, one being an HBCU show. Um, but man, it started from just having a passion for it, wanting to continue the conversation and, and being unique in your takes. And I, I, I always give credit to the 2006 NFL draft for being the reason why I am what I'm doing now and who I am now and what football game plan has become all because we were just kind of tired of hearing the talk around Vince Young and how he wasn't going to be a good pro when he, all he did was go out there and win rookie of the year and had the Titans in the playoffs and had a winning record with him as a starting quarterback. And so we were just like, you know what? We we obviously know what we're talking about. Let's get this out there and, and try to figure out a way to get our content to the masses. And it started with the website. It's it's funny you brought up the 2006 draft and what you said about Vince Young sounds very similar to some things they said about oh this guy who's in Baltimore, a guy by the name of Lamar Jackson. You know, I so I know it kind of had to be weird listening to that and seeing, hey, how many years has it been between Vince Young and Lamar Jackson? I mean, that's at least over a decade, almost 15 years. And here we are still saying that the athletic quarterback, call it what it is, the black quarterback, can't be great in the NFL. You know, uh, that does the when, – when is the narrative – I don't know. I don't know if I want to say when the when's the narrative going to change. Maybe a better way of saying it is when are people going to realize and wake up, you know? Never uh, is going to happen. Um, otherwise, you know, we wouldn't have content. Um, and so th- that's the one thing that you can kind of <laughs> bank on every season. I mean, we just saw not even Lamar Jackson. It was a year before Lamar Jackson where everyone just went nuts. It's like you just watched Deshaun Watson slay the dragon of Nick Saban in Alabama. And you go from that yeah. game to Mitch Trubisky being better than Deshaun Watson. It's just bizarre. We all just watched, and Deshaun and uh, Mr. Trubisky wasn't even the best quarterback in the ACC, or the second best quarterback, Gerard Evans, who didn't get an opportunity at Virginia Tech, nearly beat Deshaun Watson in an ACC title game, was better than Mr. Trubisky. And so, you know, this this will that's why I'm shocked this year. Uh, it seems like everybody kind of likes Malik Willis, so I really didn't have anything to say. I didn't have a quarterback to defend. Uh, this this year, so uh, maybe this year is finally starting to turn around, and people start to see uh, giving these athletic quarterbacks an opportunity to just go play the position. Because we know if we go all the way back, the amount of guys that we 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 didn't get a chance to see, you know, and the one name I always bring up is Charlie Ward. We never got to see Charlie Ward play in the, in the NFL because he was too short to play quarterback in the NFL, but he was tall enough to go in the first round of the NBA draft. So. In a game in which you have to be taller to play <laughs> than in the NFL. But Drew Brees is short, was, short Drew Brees and Doug Clute shorter than him. So and, and there you I go, always feel like Charlie Ward did I always feel like Charlie Ward kind of didn't want to have to deal with it. Like he knew he had options and was like, I'm not gonna let you guys try to tell me that I can't be a great NFL quarterback. I'm just gonna go be great in the NBA and I'm gonna do it for what, like 14, 15 years, I, you know, I, I just feel like that was sort of a dig at the NFL. But, I mean, it's good to have choices. I mean, that just tells you how great a player Charlie Ward was that he had options. You know what I'm saying? Um, your 
let, while we're talking quarterbacks, obviously, uh, as it relates into small school and HBCUs, and and again, want to remind everybody, you can go uh, and download the 2022 draft prospect guide. I want to make sure I'm saying that right because the NFL guide, uh, 2022 draft guide. I think I'm saying that right. Um, you break down the quarterbacks. And I love the fact that you open the book by giving people a realistic take on what it takes. You break down potential all pro in terms of your grades, a potential all pro, uh, and then you give a potential pro bowlers a score. And then you have solid NFL starters and then you have spot situation NFL starters. And I love the fact that when I looked at your quarterbacks overall from one to 50, I didn't see anybody get a grade higher than 80. In fact, Malik Willis from Liberty got the highest grade. Um, so when you look at the quarterback class overall, your evaluation is what? It's a it's a good class. And, and for me, I'm always going to say it's a deep class because I go deep with prospects. And, you know, some people always want to just focus on the top five, you know, if you don't have a Deshaun Watson or let's say the 2018 class with Lamar and Baker Mayfield and all those guys, if you don't have those, you know, spotlight players to talk about, people feel like the class isn't deep, but there's talent every year in the NFL draft. And so for me, there's only one quarterback I would feel comfortable with taking in the first round, which would be Malik Willis. Everyone else, I feel like you can win with, you just have to build around what they do well and build the team around what they do well. The reason why I like Malik Willis first is because he has those A-plus traits. He, he's fast. He has the uh, strong arm, so he can really reach the, you know, he can go end zone to end zone, kind of like Dante Culpepper could with his arm strength. Um, he can run as fast as Michael Vick. He's not as twitched up as Michael Vick. He's more of a faster version of Jalen Hurts, if you want to use that comparison. Uh, so that's someone I feel like I can take in the first round, I can work with. But even then, we're talking about, you know, somewhere in the mid parts of the first round. So this class, to me, it's a, it's a decent class. It's a good class. It's a better class if you want to upgrade your QB2 on your roster. Because we know, especially with the last two years dealing with COVID, um, you're going to need a backup quarterback. You're going to need a good one. You're going to need someone to step in and, and help carry your team for two to three games. And if someone that you have right now on your roster – is not good, and you can look at those rosters and say, "Oh, wow, they need, they need a backup. They need a, a QB too." You got to really invest in that position, and this is a good draft to get guys that can that can hold down the fort until your starter gets back. Mm-hmm. Um, as it relates to HBCU quarterbacks, the the top name, of course, is Aquil Glass, and what I like about reading as I go through your evaluations of the various quarterbacks. I see Glass right there with a lot of names that I've heard other people talk about, like Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. And, I, and I'm, I'm referring to grades. I'm, I'm looking at your mm-hmm. overall grades. And that's another thing. Uh, I, I love the fact that you break down guys from uh, a, a, from about, I think there's about a dozen. I didn't, I'm just looking at it, doing off the top of my head. There's about a dozen categories that you break each quarterback down by in their, and then their scouting grade. And then they're ranking amongst the class. And so Glass comes in at 12, but he's right there in terms of grade with some of those other names. So I I come to you and say, you know, who's the team that could use a guy like Aquil Glass? 
because I think it's all about fit. And, and I hope that the right team sees a fit for glass because I think that's where guys have the opportunities to really shine. So, so what's your thoughts on glass and where does he fit? You know, I really like glass, man. He's someone that has gotten better over the course of his career. Um, when I was out there at the NFL PA game, he was able to thicken out his frame. He measured in, I believe, a 6'3 and some change and 236. So he measured in exactly how you want the quarterback to measure. I thought he was going to be a leaner guy, like about 210, um, because you really can't trust the, the college websites, you know, height and weight. You know, you're going to get two inches tall, about 10 pounds more, <laughs> right? Um, but he, he came in at 6'3, 236. He measured in perfectly. Um, and he, if it wasn't for Cole Kelly, you know, winning the MVP, he would have won it because they had the same game at the NFLPA game. They both played really well all week. And then down at the uh, HBCU Legacy Bowl, he played really well there. Uh, so to me, he can do everything that you want. He has a lot of experience. He was coached well in college by Kyle Manor, who's a tremendous quarterback in and of his, uh, in his own right. And so if I'm a team like Tennessee or from a team like Indianapolis, I think those two situations, maybe even Atlanta with Arthur Smith being a head coach, those three situations would be an ideal fit to bring someone like Glass in because he's played a lot of snaps. He He's not afraid to, to throw to the covered guy uh, coming out that offense at Alabama A&M, and he has shown uh, that he has the skill set to really beat tight coverage. We saw this at the NFL PA game when he's out there versus Power 5 FBS defenses and, and making those guys pay. Go ahead, Drew. Uh, you, you, you mentioned a name at, as a Rattler is, uh, you know, hard for me to hear, that, that Cole Kelly guy. But, uh, you know, we saw him put up tremendous numbers against the fam. You uh, just because of somebody I'll say, I know his, this is an HBCU show, but what does he rate compared to a glass and maybe some of the other household names that we have heard? You know, listen, I like Cole Kelly, and I have him rated, I want to say maybe a spot or two ahead of Glass. And reason why, uh, I think when you look at him, one, yeah, he's 6'7", 260. He's a legit 6'7", 260. So he measured in at that at the combine, but that's not why. It's taking those numbers and looking at the fact that he had 29 rushing touchdowns. That's just ridiculous. So this dude is a dual threat, uh, especially when you think about short yardage, goal line situations. No one wants to tackle him. And we saw this in that game against FAMU. You know, this is someone that he's not as twitched up as Josh Allen, but he's just as big as Josh Allen, and no one wants to tackle him. So, you know, that's someone that can be a weapon inside the red zone, inside the green zone, which is from the 10-yard line going in. Uh, so because of his athletic ability and his ability to contribute as a plus one, you know, he's right there. He's just outside my top ten. And if you're a team like the Giants who – have that staff coming from Buffalo and you're looking for a solid QB two to that can push someone yeah. like Daniel Jones, a guy like Cole Kelly would be an ideal fit in my opinion. All right. Now I'm going to throw some names out at you. Uh, these are some swag names. Why don't you tell me where they, uh, where they may fit into this draft. Uh, you got Marquise Bell and uh, James Houston. What, what about these two guys? Very high on both, man. I'll start with the last person first. James Houston is someone I think should go in round three. Um, all throughout his time at Jackson State this this season, he was the pass rusher. He was the guy that, that just get to the quarterback. But prior to that at Florida, he was an off-ball linebacker. 
and at the NFLPA game and the Shrine Bowl, he was an off-ball linebacker and showed good coverage ability. Almost had an interception in the game at the NFLPA game. Then he goes and gets the call up to the Shrine Bowl and wrecks havoc there as well, making a lot of big plays in the game. You know, uh, you know, big hits. You know, significant plays, sacking the quarterback. So, over the course of his this 2021 season. In both in the regular season and in the postseason all-star games, he's shown he can cover. He's shown he can rush the passer. He's shown he can play off the ball, read and diagnose and, and attack downhill in the run game. This is someone that can do it all, can play all three downs in any type of defense. That's someone you want. And for Bell, when I got out to the NFLPA game, watching him out there at corner. So we know he was a safety at FAMU. He goes and plays corner. He's doing a great job matching up one-on-one versus wide receivers. So now you have that position flexibility to where we know defenses is all about maximizing the 11 that you have on the field, your personnel, because offenses will throw a lot of personnel groupings and a lot of formations at you. And you don't want to be able to, you don't want to be in a situation where you're out uh, personneled or you're out schemed, or you just don't have the guys out there. Someone like bell can keep you honest, no matter what an offense throws at you. So He's versatile, and we saw at the Combine, he checks all those boxes athletically. So he's someone that definitely, um, I think, should also go in round three, uh, along with someone like James Houston. All right, now let's switch over to the BIAC. Uh, a couple couple of big names for the BIAC, uh, Kobe Durant, uh, Jawan Carter. Uh, uh, talk about those two and anybody else out of the BIAC who you think may we need to watch out for on day two or day three of the draft. Yeah, Durant is someone I already compared to Eric Allen. I, I'm a big fan of what he does in terms of taking the ball away. I'm all on, you know, can you score? Can you take the ball away? And he can do both. Um, he told me when I talked to him at the, the East-West Shrine Bowl, hey, hey, I could play outside. People see my size and and think I'm just a slot guy. I was like, well, listen, you know, yeah, they'll want you to play inside. That's just how the league operates. But you make them play you outside in terms of how you're able to play. And he went out here in the uh, at the shrine bowl and then really did his thing against these bigger wide receivers and we already know he has the ball skills he could blitz off the short corner so he does a lot of things well he's ideally what you want as a nickel guy but i think he does have the chops to play on the outside um and carter is someone i thought i was impressed with this with his arm strength down at the hbcu legacy bowl you know this was someone that had uh you know at first i thought you know he was kind of just you know, trying to fit the ball in there, trying to place the ball in there, and then he just started to let it rip uh, as the week went on. Then you saw this in the game. He was just letting it rip, and he's someone that can create outside the pocket. We we saw that at Norfolk State. Uh, to me, just someone that, that you definitely want. And nowadays, you think about teams like Arizona. You want someone stylistically to your starter? Well, this is a guy that can get out there and move, just like Felix Harper of Alcorn State. And, and the one guy that people need to get familiar with that no one's talking about is Trey Gross out of Delaware State. He was tremendous um, at the FCS Bowl. He got the call up to the Tropical Bowl. He got the call up to the uh, HBCU Legacy Bowl. He is someone that, that I know teams are very interested in because he has that height, weight, speed that they look for. And he also plays on all special teams. I believe he had a block punt <clears throat> for a score this year. So he is someone that can help you right away. He can play special teams. He can be your fifth receiver. And we know that fifth receiver is someone that has to play special teams. He can do that. And he also has really good game. I, I've been very impressed with Trey Gross all throughout his uh, time there because I've covered a lot of his games 
uh, broadcasting games, you know, when they played Morgan State, we do a lot of those ESPN3 games with Morgan State and them playing Delaware State. So I've seen a lot of gross and very impressed with his progression in his career. All right. Uh, anybody from the non-Division One conferences, the uh, SIAC, CIAA, maybe even some uh, NAIAs, you know, got Langston and uh, places like that that we may need to keep an eye out for either as a draft or UFDA? There, there are two guys that instantly come to mind. On offense, you look at Shamar Bridges, uh, Fort Valley State. You know, he plays like a Chargers wide receiver. He's tall. He can run routes. I think he can play inside or outside. So he has really good, you know, flexibility within the the, the wide receiver room. Um, and Joshua Flowers out of Winston-Salem State, you know, someone that can play corner or safety. He's big. He's 6'2", 215. He can match up uh, as a corner. You could, or you could put him inside as a slot safety and have him match up on tight ends. And he can carry backs out in the flat and do whatever you need him to do. He also can tackle well. Uh, he has good ball skills. So you have those two guys uh, that are doing great things um, that had really good all-star games. Flowers had a FCS Bowl week that was impressive. Then he had the week at the HBCU Legacy Bowl along with Shamar Bridges, who was just catching everything uh, thrown his way. So both guys, to me, coming from the non-D1 uh, HBCU programs are, are people that uh, really made some noise this offseason. Last question before I turn it over to Brian. What about uh, D1 and that do not participate in the traditional conferences? Uh, Hampton, Tennessee State, uh, North Carolina, A&T. Anybody out of those three schools that we may need to look at as far as, uh, you know, day two, day three, or undrafted free agent uh, signings? I would say uh, Tennessee State's Corey Raymond, or Raman, the safety. You know, he was also out there at the NFLPA game. But his career started at Southeastern University, which is an NEIA program in Florida. Uh, he trans he was tremendous there, transferred to Tennessee State, and did great things this year for the Tigers. And he's someone that has legit ball skills. He can get from the deep third down in the alley really quickly. He can get from the deep third to the numbers or to the sideline pretty quickly. And like I said before, he has the ball skills that you want. So he could turn the ball over. Um, I think he ran really well. Uh, at their pro day, I want to say a couple of days ago. So he's someone for me uh, coming from Tennessee State that, that could be in that, that round seven uh, range. And, and A&T has, uh, you know, J- Jermaine Martin, uh, the running back. He had a really good week at the HBCU Legacy Bowl. Um, I thought that was really impressive to go out there and watch him catch the football. That's something that I know he wants to showcase that he can do. And James Fagan out of Hampton, uh, he was an O-line, could play D-line. He got work at D-line out there. So he gives you someone, let's say like Rashad Coward was when he came out of Old Dominion. Um, he was a D-lineman, but the Bears flipped him into an offensive lineman. Now he's playing O-line. I want to say for the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he's playing off- offensive line in the NFL. Uh, Fagan, I feel as though, is going to be on the on the flip side. Started as an offensive lineman, played some on defense, and he's 6'7", 6'6", 320, 325, uh, upwards to close to 340. Um, and he's going to be playing defensive line at the NFL level, but he gives you that athleticism to be able to play both sides of the ball, which is huge. Go ahead, Brian. Well, uh, one of the things that I've, I've noticed in, a, in your re, one of your recent articles uh, on uh, CBSSports.com where you spotlight a lot of small school defensive players, it, it's funny because as I go through all of this, 
I keep seeing one school with multiple players, and that's Fayetteville State. And now Fayetteville State has unfortunately been the bridesmaid in the CIAA. I mean, if there were no Bowie State, CI, uh, Fayetteville State would probably be, you know, kings of three the Three-time defended champion. <laughs> they're right. They'd be three if there was no Bowie State, right? But, but unfortunately, there has been. But you got you spotted a couple. You spotlighted a couple of guys, uh, defensive back Elvin De La Rosa, and then of course you uh, spotlight. Uh, I'm finding it here. Keyshawn Kurt, James. Uh, uh, Keyshawn James, and then of course we're all familiar with what uh, Joshua Williams did at the at the NFL. How, I mean, how realistic is it for three guys from Fayetteville State to potentially get drafted? I mean, these are three dudes. Like I, I've seen them all year, and I that's why I, I watched Fayetteville State and was like, "Yo, these guys got dudes." I mean, these guys just they look like NFL players when you just look at them. But but obviously, fortunately for them, it's shown up on the tape and then in these workouts. It, it is it possible? Is it a realistic shot for two, maybe three, to get an opportunity uh, to be drafted? I feel like it, man. And they also got a, a you know a running back, a tight end, and an offensive tackle that's good too. Um, so I don't know what was in the water down there in Fayetteville, you know, state for, for they have a legit, you know, pro factory. Um, but I think the two guys that have a legit chance to get drafted, obviously Williams, um, tall corner, ball skills, all, all those good things. Uh, but Keyshawn James, I mean, FCS Bowl, HBCU Legacy Bowl. Uh, he was at a Tropical Bowl. You know, when I was down at the Legacy Bowl, he was someone that just, they couldn't block and he can play across the front, you know, so he can play from the seven technique all the way down to the nose and, and win. And he was also at the HBCU combine. He tested well there. So he's someone that has helped himself throughout this process because of his ability to get to get to the quarterback, his ability to play across the front at any, di- uh, any different technique and also his ability to, uh, you know, play the run uh, as well. And Elvin De La Rosa has a shot in my opinion, if not, round seven, definitely to, to sign as a priority free agent because of what we talked about earlier with Joshua Flowers, someone that can play corner and safety and play it well. I was impressed with him uh, as a corner when we got down to the HBCU Legacy Bowl because he's matched up one-on-one with uh, Trey Gross of Delaware State, and they're going toe-to-toe. I'm, that was one of the best battles all week long, and this is a guy that's, a, that's, a, that's an NFL talent at the position. And here's someone that's also playing corner you know when he was a safety a stud safety at Fayetteville State so watching him just be able to seamlessly transition from one position to the next and hold his own against a a very good receiver just blew my mind he already checks off those those vegetables that people will look for he's 6'1 about 210 so he matches up physically and the skill set goes along with what uh, you want to see someone do at the position so yeah Fayetteville State um very impressive display of talent uh, by far uh, coming out of the CIAA. And it is not to mention that, you know, Bowie, you know, their top defensive player is coming back in Joshua Pryor, the defensive lineman, but they got Wes Bowers at linebacker, Simeon Gatlin, uh, the combo safety. They got dudes too. And for that team to, to be able to beat this Fayetteville State team with all these pro prospects, it tells you how talented Bowie was, but also how good the CIAA is. Yeah. All right, Doc. Uh, I'm, 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 oh, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, no. Jump in there. Go ahead. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm going to ask a question of the day. 
if, if, if I'm going to hold a gun to your head and tell you to give me the over and the under for HBCU uh, players drafted, what would that number be? I say over f- three. I say over three because I think four will get drafted. I think four will get drafted. I think you go chalk with, with Bell, with Williams, with Jatari Carter out of Southern. That's three right there. And I think the wild card could be anyone. It could be uh, James, Keyshawn James, who we just talked about. It could be a Quill Glass, who we just talked about. Um, so I think three is the number, but I will you know, gamble a little bit and go over and say four gets, gets drafted. Because uh, James Houston is another one. So that could that that number might even be five. Uh, so I will say three for sure. Uh, Bell, Williams, Carter, and or Houston. So you could say four. So I would say that number is right around there. So we set a number at four and a half. Uh, we're going to set the number. Any of those uh, day twos? Uh, any of those day twos or will they all be day threes? Uh, it, you know, well, day two does give you the, the third round, I guess. Um, yeah. I feel Second like third round. Yeah. I feel like third round, you could, you could see, you know, someone like Houston, uh, someone like Bell. I think, you know, Williams may flirt with, you know, high third round, maybe late second round um, because he ran so well. So I, I would say day two, yeah, because that third round is in there. So I, I would say, yeah, day two. So we're going to set it at – well, we're going to set it at a half, Ryan, or one and a half for day, for day two? Uh, I, I would say one and a half for, for day two. Day two. And, and four and, and a half yeah, overall. And, and, yeah, and then four and a half overall. But here's what I'm curious about, Emery. What so it's you know because because we see the talent, you scout the talent, you see it as well. As you talk to other scouts and you talk to league execs, what is it that separates the day two to day three, especially for the small school, whether it be HBCU or just FCS players in general? Because we've talked about at least a half dozen players. We've spotlighted probably a dozen, but then the reality of what you just said kicks in that only maybe four or five get drafted. Now, granted, that's out of 262 players, so people realize that. There's only 262 spots, and we're talking hundreds of colleges, hundreds of players, and you got a book with just a 1,000 prospects. So do the numbers there, people. I mean, everybody's not getting drafted, but just to kind of educate uh, what separates day? Obviously, day two, day three for a small school player. How you test athletically? I think you know I've grown to to accept that over the years. You know, because at first, is for me when I first started, it was all about this dude nice. He should be drafted, but it's it's really about you know. And then also helping this uh, this thought process was being out there covering the Giants and Jets and being at these practices every day and, and seeing NFL athleticism consistently. So right off the bat, you already know what works and what won't work at the pro level. Um, and so it goes – it's like a funnel. It goes from that athleticism all the way down to, you know, okay, we'll take a shot on this guy. But you have to check these boxes athletically. Um, that's why you may even see someone – uh, that didn't play college ball but played rugby. You know, the guy that got drafted by the Eagles, Malata. Well, you know, he played rugby. Well, look, he checks these boxes athletically. Uh, we'll take a shot on him. So it's really about the measurables, the athleticism. Um, talent does play a part. Like, I would say talent plays 
60% of the part. Like, you got to be good, number one. But if you're good and you're also checking these boxes athletically, it increases your chances. So where you're going to find most of the athletically gifted players, unfortunately, is at the power five level. Just like, you know, it's sort of just like how college recruiting is. Um, and you have your your outliers, like a guy like a Christian Watson from North Dakota State, who is 6'5", runs 4'3", can jump out the gym. You know, that's the outlier. But for the most part, because if he wasn't the outlier, he'd be at Alabama, right? So for the most part, everybody's going to fall in line to where uh, you test athletically. And, I, you know, you have to really accept that's the case. But I always tell the players, man, listen, it's all about getting on a roster and staying on a roster. Yes, we would all have loved to hear our name called and the chimes sing, you know, sing and you see your name scrolling at the bottom of the, uh, you know, at the screen. But can you stick? You know, can you stay on the roster? Can you sustain that NFL paycheck? or professional football paycheck. So you really also have to be open-minded. You know, if you're not going to get the NFL, there's a USFL, there's the XFL coming in 2023, the CFL, find a way to continue to play because you're only going to have this level of athleticism for a short period of time. It's not like basketball. We can go and play in rec leagues and and, and get that fixed like, like you can when you're older. You can't, you know, recreationally play football. You only have to play it, <laughs> you know, like you can do it right, right when you're coming out of college. So, um, don't be don't be shy to go to other opportunities, but yeah, that's how it's really sorted, man. It's you know again you have your outliers, uh, but you, you really have to be um, a unicorn to to go from a small school to be a first round pick, and so it just goes from there because you know the the top tier athleticism uh, that's coming from these prospects are usually found at you know these power five schools to group of five schools, then you get to FCS and and so on and so forth. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, and and I I just I just go back to continually trying to remind people. It's like you know we we're gonna spend the next month you know opining about where guys could go, should go, and then in the end when you do the math, you just have to be a little realistic. But hopefully with the expansion, like you said, of the USFL, the XFL, uh, that's two leagues within the states. There's opportunities that hopefully open their doors for guys. And then, of course, you have the CFL, which is, you know, another opportunity. So hopefully all of that turns out to be opportunities and we can see these guys playing professionally. So, uh, Emery, let people know where they can find you and follow you and uh, continue and and especially where they can go download the draft guide, which I'm enjoying the heck out of. I went through it. Obviously, like I said, I, I went I got it downloaded this morning, couldn't find it. And then I and then so I when I did find it, I spent about a good hour going through it, and I'm not even a quarter of the way through it. So that that's my uh, weekend, my week homework assignment is to go through all 1,000 prospects. So let people know where they can find it and download. Yeah, it's the largest draft guide in draft guide history. No one out there has a thousand individual scouting reports. No one out there has 600 individual scouting reports. So you're gonna get your hands on the largest draft guide ever. You can get that at footballgameplan.com slash 2022 draft guide. Uh, it's, it's, you know, reasonably priced for you to go get. And you have access to guys that's going to get drafted, guys that's going to jump on the, the roster during the preseason, during the middle of the season. I'm pretty sure there's a scout report for someone uh, out there. And it, it'll even give you a heads up on the CFL draft, too. There's some CFL draft prospects thrown in the mix 
also. Mm. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash football game plan. That's where you'll see a lot of our you know draft-related videos come out. We're going to start pumping out you know some prospect rankings video where we're covering the top 10, bringing some prospects to interview, uh, and, and go forward like that. We won't give you all 1,000 in the video, but these videos are very entertaining. And also, we help prepare you for the NFL draft that way, in addition to the content that you're getting in that draft guide. Man, it, it's again, it's it's a good read for for those draft nicks people. You're interested in the draft, uh, you know, a uh, thousand prospects is is awesome. A lot of different angles. Uh, I, I, we got a lot of different topics that we can talk about uh, out of it, Drew. So I mean, it's a lot of meat in that on that bone. So we, we got we got the whole week, uh, whole month rather, because uh, I think the NFL draft is like uh, twenty the twenty something twenty third or something like that. Twenty eight to the thirty. Yeah, end of the month. So we got the whole month but you, to talk about but it. But USFL starts next weekend, though, Brian. USFL. Wait a minute. What starts next weekend? What did I miss? USFL. April 16th. USFL oh, starts yeah. That's yeah. right. USFL That's starts right. Okay. in two weeks in Birmingham. There you go. There you go. So plenty of football. All right. Emory Hunt, man. Hey, uh, again, thank you uh, for coming on, joining us. Uh uh, the book, awesome. Great value, guys. Awesome, great value. When you get the download, check your spam folder. If it doesn't come directly to your inbox, check your spam folder, but it's there. Awesome read. Great job, Emery. Thank you, man, for the time. Appreciate it. Hope we can talk again down the road. Absolutely. Appreciate you guys having me on. All right. We're going to take a break. Be back right after these words with more. You're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties. Through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Caville of Dr. Caville's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard as well as the upcoming week of HBCU Sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watson and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. 
Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. HBCU programs of the nation come to Montgomery, Alabama, Riverwalk Stadium this May 11th through 14th for the Black College World Series. The best Black College baseball teams in the NCAA Division II and the NAIA will battle for Black Baseball's ultimate prize. Games will be streamed live at www.mybcsn.net. Tickets are available now online at www.blackcollegechampionships.com. Bounty versus the old family dish towel. Drying with a fresh sheet of Bounty leaves your hands cleaner than a used dish towel that can carry and redistribute food residue. So ditch the dish towel for better hand hygiene. Bounty, the quicker picker-upper. Troy, you work here? I'm never not working. Like head and shoulder scalp shield technology, up to 100% dandruff protection, even between washes. Never not working. <laughs> never not working. Never ever not working. Head and shoulder scalp shield, never not working. Every time I open one of these bottles, I hear trumpets and big band music. The Creole seasoning is a sodium-free and sugar-free blend that's versatile enough to put on anything. One of the first blends I developed more than eight years ago, the Creole seasoning has an unmistakable aroma, a bold flavor, and a little heat for character. Since 2002, Empowerment Resources, Inc., a nonprofit organization, has empowered more than 1,500 youth and adults in Duval and surrounding counties through its programs, Journey into Womanhood, Girls Mentoring, Life Skills for Teens, and Parenting Education Coaching. To get involved with programs, volunteer, or donate, visit www.empowermentresourcesinc.org. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash empowerment.resources and instagram.com forward slash empowermentjax. Welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian and AD here, wrapping up the show. Drew, before we wrap up the show, we have to talk about uh, very quickly what we saw last night or this past weekend. The NCAA tournament concluded. I am twisted in knots over what I slept through because I knew what was going to happen and I couldn't stand to watch it. Uh, North Carolina beats Duke uh, in an outstanding game by all accounts from what I was told. But I knew in those first five minutes of the second half that I didn't want to watch anymore. So I I, I, I checked out uh, cowardly. I checked out uh, to save myself from being tearing up my TV set. Uh, Kansas shot out of their minds against Villanova. Sets up for Carolina versus... Kansas, uh, in, in the most epic of ways that Carolina can knock out Duke, uh, they did it. And uh, so what's your take on the final four games? Uh, tremendous games. Uh, never seen a team as hot as 
Kansas was against Villanova, especially in their first half to open up the game. I mean, if you think about it, that I believe it was 10-0 to start the game. And that was essentially the difference of the game as uh, Villanova was unable to come up, overcome that portion of the uh, of the matchup. Also, uh, what, what what can I say? Uh, it's as a basketball fan, it's been a pleasure to watch Coach K build nothing into something. <laughs> into a perennial power. So, uh, you know, Duke was like a, a, not a name when I started watching basketball uh, as a youth back in the 80s. Now, you can't even mention college basketball without saying Duke, along with the Carolinas, the Kentuckys, and and places like that. So, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure uh, watching Coach K. And, you know, you, you, you're kind of torn as you're looking uh, over the, not only this men's final, but the women's final, which will be coming on in just a few minutes. Uh, and I told you about this today. Uh, I, I, I'm betting on black. I have to bet on black with uh, the two black coaches that we have participating, South Carolina and North Carolina. So... You know, that's just what that my heart is. You know, it's like I'm playing, uh, it's like I'm at the roulette table. Bet on black. Bet on black. <laughs> that's what, that's how I feel about this right now. Even though something tells me, you know, <laughs> Gino Oriema and UConn is, you know, Coach K. Gino Oriema, 13 Final Four appearances. It is hard to imagine. And Correct me if I'm wrong. Connecticut has never lost a final that they've appeared in. Ooh, I think they've I lost the final that. four games. I I yes. think I heard that today that UConn has never lost a final game. Don't quote me on that, y'all. Do not quote me on that. But uh, sounds about right. I don't know. To do. It sounds about right, though. It sounds about right. Yeah. Um, and then uh, on the men's side, you, uh, you've got a first-time head coach in Hubert Davis against uh, uh, Bill Self. So uh, who – and Hubert Davis took over from Roy Williams. Bill Self, who took over for Roy Williams. So there's a lot oh, of symmetry right. there. Oh, I forgot about that. That's a glad <laughs> I heard that yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of symmetry there between those two blue blood programs. So, uh, and of course, they talk about uh, the last time these, the only time these two have been in the finals when North Carolina beat Will Chamberlain and Kansas back in, I believe it was 1958. So, uh, 57. You know, that's 57. 57. 1957. So, they, uh, you know, they, they're talking about. You know, all these different type of symmetries between those two blue blood programs. So uh your bet on black, huh? I'm not I'm not gonna say what I told you off air. I don't wanna get raked over the coals, but I'll be listening to my daddy's advice this weekend. That's all I'm gonna say. If you know, you know. I'm just 
your daddy, your daddy didn't bet on black. I, That's all I, 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 we can say. That. Listen to my daddy's advice. Um, what is interesting though is about the men's thing. Forty years ago. That's when Dean Smith won his first national title in 1982 for North Carolina, right? In, I in mean, he had never won. All the great years he had winning ACC titles, never won a national title until a guy named uh, Michael, or Mike, as he called him, uh, hit a jump shot uh, in 1982, right? Then they won in 93. They won in 05, 09, and 2017. So that that's five titles over – the last 40 years. Coach K's been coaching for 42 years, right? They've won five titles over the past 40 years. So essentially, that Duke Carolina game was to see who can win, who can win the sixth title in the last in the modern era, 40 years of our lifetime, right? And how fitting was it that Carolina did them the way? I mean, like you said, the symmetry of all of it. The fact that, you know, here's they're going up against Kansas now, and and uh, I don't think Kansas has ever won. And this is their third appearance in New Orleans for a national title. They're 0-2 in the previous two times. I think they lost to Syracuse, and I think they lost to Duke or Memphis. No, they lost to Memphis. I think they lost to John Calipari and them. Uh, no, no, no. That's when they, Kansas they, won, matter of fact. I would say Kansas is 0-2. Yeah, Kansas is 0-2 in New Orleans in the national title game. And and then one more thing for you guys who are hungry out there for stats. Think about this. What Kansas did to Villanova, they did it in the fewest possessions. They did it in like 58 possessions at some record rate of, I think somebody said a one point. One, three, nine. It was a bunch of numbers, points per possession, right? Villanova, no one has shot the ball that well against Villanova in over five years. Five years. That's included two national title teams in five years, right? So Carolina, Kansas shot unbelievably well. You really think they're going to do that a second time against a bigger Carolina team? I don't think so, dude. I don't think so. I, I told you, I... I like your idea about betting on black in that game, but I just think betting on the bigger team and Carolina is the bigger. T- I mean, they're an eight seed, but really they're probably a four seed, but so they're just the my, bigger team. That's the one bet on black. That's the one bet on black. That's the one bet on black. Yeah. The, the, now, the, the women's game, look, this is all I'm going to say. South Carolina beat UConn earlier in the year by like 15 points. You go and count the number of times that a team has beaten Gino Ariema twice in a year. I bet you may find less than five, probably probably less than two or three, right? I, what, I'll put it to you like this: Has it probably the only person who I could think of who uh, did it was Pat Summit? Exactly. I, that's where I was going to go. I bet it was Pat Summit, who's probably the only one that's ever done it, and she probably did it maybe twice, right? So. I, I just think there's a lot of things running in UConn's favor. Uh, their their star player is in her hometown of Minneapolis. Ooh, I, I'm mad I didn't pick them over Stanford. I should have. I don't know what I was thinking because, uh, but but I tell you what, I 
I'm gonna be a dog this weekend. I'm I'm picking dogs this week, today and tomorrow. Roof, roof, picking dogs. <laughs> picking dogs. All right, let's get to our top five. This is it. The final rankings are out. Our BCSN national champions in Division One men's basketball. It is none other than the Norfolk State Spartans finishing a few points ahead of Texas Southern. Alcorn State comes in third, Southern four, Howard five. Um, I don't think it mattered that Texas Southern had won that game uh, in the in the uh, uh, first four. Um, I think Norfolk State's record by itself stood out and above all things. Uh, congratulations to Norfolk State. I believe they were co-champs last year, Drew. Uh, yes. along with Texas this Southern. year. Along with Texas Southern this year, flat out uh, BCSN uh, Division One national champions. Uh, do we have women in this too, Drew? Yes. All right. So here's the Division One women. Oh, big surprise! Jackson State uh, <laughs> wins the <laughs> wins the women. Uh, I believe the, this the is the second the year. The margin, yeah. I mean, what, this is the second year, right, for Jackson State? Correct. Yes. Second year for Jackson State, Coach Tamika Reed, the the magical twenty one and oh season, uh, uh, the Yukonish season, the everything that they have done over the past three years by uh, 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 Williams uh, and and Rogan, and uh, what 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 is upcoming looks to be pretty powerful. So. I expect to see Jackson State right in the hunt again next year. Howard comes in at number two. The MEAC champs got their first NCAA tournament win in a long time. Morgan State three, Norfolk State four, Alabama A&M rounds out the top five. Let's go down to Division two. Division two. Look at that. Whoa, we've got co-national champions in Division two men's. It's the Fayetteville State Broncos. And the Miles Golden Bears, both statistically, uh, mathematically, coming up with a, a a similar record. So, you know, as we do when that happens, we have co-national champs in the Division Two level, and a and a slim margin over Benedict, who uh, comes in at the three spot. West Virginia four, Morehouse uh, comes in at five on the men's side. We almost uh, had a BX finish on the on the D two men's side, right? You know, people would have questioned us had we had three teams finishing at co-national champs. That would have been real ugly. Uh, <laughs> Especially at least they're not all conference. in. Exactly. That, that thankfully, is what didn't happen, is that they weren't in the same conference. Um, strength of schedule-wise, what can you tell me about Fayetteville State and Miles from a strength of schedule perspective, Drew, uh, just in case people are curious? Uh, Fayetteville State. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You got it pulled up. I was just going to talk while you pulled it up. Fayetteville State had the number three strength of schedule coming in at a point four zero, and I'll take a point four four zero seven. West Virginia State had the number four strength of schedule. Coming in at a point 
Strength of schedule was one of the weakest in Division Two at a point two zero eight. So when people want to know why, how can Fayetteville State with a win loss record that would be different uh, than Miles? Look at strength of schedule, and that will tell you. Fayetteville State played the tougher mm-hmm. schedule um, by 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 a big margin over Miles, and so uh, but credit to both teams. On a great season, let's go to Division Two women. Uh, just, 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 just so we did, I'll round off these top five teams. Uh, Benedict strength of schedule is slightly better than Miles at a point two one nine, and Morehouse was a point two hundred even. What it looks like is, you know, Miles, Benedict, and Morehouse were uh, hurt by their SIAC brother when it comes to strength of schedule. Right now, had neither had had they not lost to Savannah State, you know, it'd have been interesting to see what. Let me see, because who lost in the championship game to Savannah State? Benedict it was Miles. Uh, Benedict. No, Savannah State defeated uh, Benedict. Miles okay. lost in the semifinals to Savannah State. Okay, um, Division Two women, uh, our national champion, the Savannah State Tigers. Uh, Lady Tigers, a great season. I, I mean, for I mean, it was it was fabulous until the in the end. I mean, the end. I mean, obviously, the shock of losing in that championship game, you know, to just I mean, it affected their seeding. It might have even affected their play in the tournament. Uh, but we've watched this team for twenty seven, almost thirty games. That by far was one of the best teams in the country, and. I mean, hey, credit to Benedict for beating him in the championship game, but but still, I I thought uh, without a doubt, Savannah State was one of the best teams I'd seen all year. So, uh, congratulations to uh, Savannah State on winning. Uh, Benedict came in two. Uh, Lincoln, PA, uh, came in third. Tuskegee comes in in fourth, and West Virginia State rounds out the top five at number five. So, as you see. Uh, Benedict's program along with West Virginia State's program in the top five in both categories, right? Correct. All right, quickly go over to the NAIA, the national champs. Of course, the team that finished as the national runner-up in the NAIA is our national champion. Without Without a doubt, that's the Talladega Tornadoes. Paul Quinn comes in at number two. They, of course, uh, won the national championship in the USCCA and uh, going to look forward to seeing what they bring to the table next season. Xavier comes in at three, Stillman at four, and Tougaloo at number five. So uh, congratulations to uh, Talladega uh, as the uh, NAIA uh, BCSA national champs. And the NAIA uh, women's national champs, Russ College, uh, Russ College, Bearcats coming in at number one. Clearly, again, like I said, another strong performance all year. Well, well deserving of the number one spot. Talladega comes in at two. Philander Smith at three. Xavier, four. Florida Memorial at five. So 
uh, Talladega and Xavier men and women's programs in the top five of of our final rankings. So uh, as it as it as it does, so congratulations to all those teams. We'll send out the uh, the the you know the media stuff. All that come out a little later uh, in the week, and uh, the All American teams, players of the year, coach of the year. We'll have that ready on next week's show um, to give to everybody. Just want to make note of some real quick here before we close out. Just got to mention the spring football games that were this past week or this past weekend yesterday, April 2nd. You had Grambling, the only SI, uh, the S, uh, only SWAC school, excuse me, North Carolina <laughs> AT. Then you had Benedict. Fort Valley State, Albany State from the SIEC, and you had St. Aug and Fayetteville State from the CIAA. So that was that was seven seven schools. Yeah. Of course, Alabama A and M was the first school. They had theirs all the way back on March twenty sixth. Yeah. So now, uh, Brian, make sure you pay attention. Some of those uh, that we may be classified as spring games were actually. Open scrimmages, uh, scrimmages, and they may have a second scrimmage later on uh, on on a subsequent weekend. Uh, as, as I find out, talking schools. to a couple of people, so, so uh, a couple of schools uh, do have another scrimmage plan. Uh, who on that list? On what list? That list that you gave. I know uh, two schools in particular that you had on that list. They will have another game slash scrimmage uh before the end of spring practice okay well that was the game that was listed as their spring game but okay we'll we'll look for that if you know who let me know who and then i'll go and look but as it stands that was their listed spring game uh some of them wasn't open to the public like i've seen the video highlights of uh, albany state they had them i mean for some reason you know, they some of these schools had theirs very early in the morning, not open to the public, which, you know, everybody has their thing. But I think you'd want people kind of excited about your upcoming season. So anyway, Coaches are here's paranoid, what I, Brian. Oh, my God. Anyway. <laughs> okay. And you want, and see, we, we, we can't complain about people not supporting when people can't see, you know. I, you know anyway, uh, here's what's upcoming. April 8th and April 9th, and actually April 10th, there's uh, three days. Most of the activities centered around Saturday, April 9th, but on April 8th, Texas Southern has their spring game at night. Then a full schedule, a busy uh, group of teams on Saturday, April 9th. You've got Alcorn State. You've got Florida A&M, Mississippi Valley State, Southern, North Carolina Central, Delaware State, Norfolk State, Tennessee State, Edward Waters University, Virginia State, Lincoln, PA, all on Saturday, April 9th. Then on April 10th, you've got Shaw University having theirs on Sunday the 9th. So again, that is 11 schools on Saturday the 9th, uh, including the two before the bookends. So that's 13 programs having their spring game between April 9th and 10th. So some of them having their junior days along with 
Some of them, most of them open to the public selling tickets. Some of them are free. Uh, so I encourage you to go to those schools, uh, websites, Twitter feeds, check for more information for your school. And then there's uh, two more weekends after that of schools. But uh, this weekend and next weekend are the two busiest, uh, but some interesting schools upcoming in the following weekend. So again, spring football is happening, people. And football is the business at hand. And so that's a, that's a good thing for everyone involved. That's going to do it. Drew, any final words as we close down the show tonight? Yeah, um, looking at uh, Facebook, uh, Alex Hines asks, uh, where is Virginia Union in our top five of the Division II men? Alex, Virginia Union finished number six, less than, well, just over one point behind Morehouse. Uh, the graphic had Morehouse at 243. Virginia Union came in at 242. So Virginia Union was just outside of the top five there, Alex. Yeah. And uh, again, these are these are numbers based on things. Uh, oh, pretty interesting. Uh, a lot was made of South, just watching a little bit here, South Carolina State's women's team is out on the floor for the national anthem for the first time this year. A lot was made of that and them not being out there, but uh, that appears to, unless I'm South Carolina. Wrong, is that, South I'm Carolina. sorry, South Carolina. South Carolina State. Yeah, I'm sorry. They they aren't playing. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they aren't playing. So, yeah, I think I did see South Carolina out there. Yeah, they were yeah, out both there. Both teams so. on defense. Okay, that, that's and, and it's probably like the probably like the Super Bowl. They mandate they mandate both teams have to be out there for the national anthem. Well, it is what it is. Uh, so great show today again. Got to thank Emory Hunt for joining us. Go back and listen to the show on YouTube or Facebook. Go ahead and download the BCSN Pod Zone everywhere you listen and download the shows. Hey, when you go. Wherever you're watching, give us a subscribe, uh, give us a rating or um, some sort of mention. Let people know that you you watch the show, you like the show, recommend us. If you share the show with one person, it'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, you can go also and uh, you can donate uh, a small cup of coffee there on the BCSN Pod Zone, especially if you're on Spotify. There's a way that you can donate, or you can go to myjbn.com/support myjbn.com slash support at the bottom of the page you'll see bcsn uh donations or something to that effect and you can donate to the bcsn anything will be appreciated uh follow us on twitter instagram facebook at my bcsn one the number one uh continue the conversation a little bit later throughout the week and don't forget tuesday dr cavill's inside the hbcu sports lab 7 p.m eastern 6 Central. Uh, shout out to our producer Roy. Uh, for AD Drew, I'm Brian Fulford. Thanks to our special guest, Emory Hunt, for joining us at F Ball Game Plan. And that's where you can find him, footballgameplan.com. I'm Brian Fulford. That's it for tonight, folks. Peace out. Go, dogs. I'll